Hello, everybody. This is Joseph P. Farrell with news and views from the Nefarium on Thursday, December 17th. Had to check the calendar, make sure I was on the right day. <laughs> December 17th, 2020. I hope everybody can see and hear me all right. Uh, we actually have someone in the chat room watching on YouTube from Santiago de Chile. So welcome to, he's calling himself Chile Gringo. Okay. <laughs> so welcome all the way down in Santiago. So today is a kind of a fun news and views. Uh, this will be the last news and views of 2020, unless I decide uh, during the, over the holidays to have another news and views just for the heck of it. But I also want to do some house cleaning issues, take care of some of that till we get to today's uh, rather fun articles. Um, I am going to be on vacation uh, beginning tomorrow. Uh, so that means there will be no blogs for the next two weeks up until January 4th. Now, there will be a blog on Christmas Eve day. Uh, I'm just posting a little Christmas music with a little commentary and so on. I may do a blog or two during that period, but don't expect uh, any blogs in the next couple of weeks. Uh, I need a rest and uh, some time uh, on vacation. Plus, the other reason is that... Um, Daniel has been promoting the website rather aggressively. And we have had an explosion of growth uh, in our subscribers and memberships. And we are going to be doing a lot of things, making some changes over the next year in the website to improve the performance. I know some of you have had issues uh, logging into the site, logging into the forum. One of the reasons is, unexpectedly, we have maxed out our, our uh, bandwidth and server capacity. So we're looking at other servers, updating the website to handle the expanded capacity. Uh, I will be adding, beginning next year, a third vid chat, and we're going to be calling these fireside chats. There's going to be some changes in the format just on that vid chat. Uh, we'd like to see a lot of you new members that signed up in, in that particular vid chat. You're welcome to any vid chat. Anybody's welcome in any vid chat. This is not just for new people. But uh, we're going to be making some changes uh, with that. And this will be kind of a different style vid chat. Uh, it'll be limited to two hours. There will be very short pre-chat. And what we're going to be doing is figuring out a way for people to post their questions in the comments area ahead of time. And I'm going to go ahead right now and ask all of you that uh, contact me by email, send me suggestions for theme topics, because we also want to have uh, use this vid chat as kind of an experiment to have one dedicated vid chat in the three vid chats for a particular theme. So go ahead and send me themes that you'd like to discuss, uh, particularly if they're related to any of my published books and so on. So lots of changes coming up. I want to alert everybody about that. Uh, we're going to go through some 
uh, probably some rough periods with some of the platforms and so on. But um, Daniel has posted on the website a what's called a roadmap of things that we're looking at. So you can go to the website and look for the roadmap, and then there will be certain tabs that you'll see there that you can see what we're doing uh, over the next couple of weeks and probably um, over the next years. All right, so let's get down to um, <laughs> to today's news and views from the Nefarium. And if there's a theme to uh, today's two articles, it's what happens when ideology meets reality <laughs> or ideology meets human reality. Take your pick. Now, the first article is sort of a um, sort of a serious one. The second article, I'm not even going to tell you what it's about, but the first article is uh, by Martin Armstrong over at Armstrong Economics. It's very short, and I'm, I'm going to read the whole thing to you and show you an interesting picture that, <laughs> that accompanies the article. But the article is titled, Austria Bucking the Trend Against Digital Currency. So, you know, go Austria. <laughs> Here we go. And and just wait till you see <laughs> until you see um until you see the picture here. Anyway, quote, the Austrian National Bank has started an information campaign to support cash. Now, I'm all for that. I just went out earlier today. I had to go make my tobacco run. So, you know, I got my cash and hand the cash. You know, I do a lot of business by cash. It remains to be seen whether it is on a collision course with the European Central Bank. There will be rising resistance to this scheme to eliminate paper money and force everyone into a digital currency. And stop right there, folks. Let me say it again, and I'm echoing Catherine Austin Fitz here. A digital currency is not a currency. It's a coupon. It's a corporate coupon. And if you tie that system in, as they want to do, with systems of social credits and surveillance, that means the value of whatever it is in your digital wallet can change at the push of a button. So in other words, a digital currency is not a store of value as any other real currency is. It can change at the push of a button, depending on whether or not you're good or bad little boys and girls, okay? So, you know, it's Santa Claus. You better watch out, you know, the, the Christmas song about Santa Claus because this is what they want to do, and this is why they want a digital currency, because that will fluctuate in value depending on your behavior. So it's not a currency, it's a corporate coupon. Uh, if you have any further doubts, read what I blogged about today uh, concerning the latest plans, which are, by the way, mentioned in this article. Anyway, to continue, I would expect you will see the same resistance rise in the United States, and if the Democrats try that again, this will be simply one of the reasons to justify rebellion. They have crushed the economy with their lockdowns, which have hurt the lower classes most of all, who cannot work from home remotely. But this is typical of elites 
for they judge the world only by their own class and will never talk to anyone from the great unwashed. The financial terrorists know they have a short fuse, and I've pointed this out many times. Why are they on such a schedule? Why are they rushing? There's something else going on that we're not privy to that they are, or at least think they are, and they're in this mad rush of a schedule. And the question is why? Now, I have my suspicions, but someday I may share those uh, more completely. But in any case, quote, they're going to push very hard to get their Agenda 2030 going by 2022. Schwab, that's Klaus Schwab, or as I like to call him, Ernst Stavro Blofeld, uh, Klaus Schwab of the World Economic Forum, or as I like to call it, Spectre, <laughs> sent his book to every world leader and to the governors and premiers of every state and province around the world. Let me read that again. Schwab has sent his book to every world leader and to the governors and premiers of every state and province around the world. Now, folks, that takes true hubris. I don't even send my books out to talk shows. <laughs> you know? I figure if they're worth anything, they'll read them and contact me. But anyway, this book is his communist manifesto of how he thinks the world should run. The typical arrogant academic with no real-world experience, just like Marx. It's always these types of people who feel nothing about the hardship and loss of life that they unleash on the world. He claims the world must accept his manifesto to, quote, avoid revolutions, <laughs> unquote, which in fact will take place <laughs> because of this man. I do not understand how academics can be so elitist as to justify war as long as it leads to their land of dreams. Schwab has even enrolled the Pope. And folks, it's much worse than that. Uh, if you go to my website and look at the, today's blog, I talk about this strange alliance now. It's really not so strange once you understand it. But this alliance now between the papacy and the Rothschilds, and, you know, they're Mr. Global Loney par excellence. But anyway, Schwab has even enrolled the Pope, who was raised in communism, Actually, the Pope was raised in Argentina, and that was Juan Perón's third way. Remember that one? <laughs> the Pope, like Marx, has abandoned religion, and thou shalt not covet your neighbor's goods, embracing this new age of Marxism that we may end up calling Schwabism, which isn't even original, unquote. And that's the article. That's the article. So go Austria uh, if you're fighting this digital corporate coupon idea. Uh, more power to you. I've also blogged previously, folks, about uh, a phenomenon that's going on in Great Britain where the Bank of England has note noted that there's billions of pounds missing. But what they mean by missing is that people are hoarding paper money. People are hoarding paper money. And oddly enough, when I did this blog, the Bank of England concluded that they're hoarding paper money as a store of value. Now, that's very interesting to me because classically, stores of value have been things like bullion, gold bullion, silver bullion, and so on, uh, even art artworks. 
but in Britain, people are hoarding cash. And I suspect if, if it's as a store of value, it's because people are sensing that this digital uh, currency uh, society that these, Mr. these global loneliness want to put into place is not going to work. You need a stable, physical, anonymous medium of exchange where the value is not going to change depending on the whim of a corporate overlord or banker. That's the bottom line, okay? Now, the article, as I said, I promised you that the article has a picture. <laughs> I love this picture because I've been blogging about Klaus Schwab or Ernst Stavro. You know, it's so, it's so hard. And, and Spectre, I mean, the World Economic Forum. So who... Whoever did this should get an award because there's Klaus Schwab dressed up as Ernst Stavro Blofeld <laughs> with his cat. Someone photoshopped Schwab's face <laughs> onto the picture of Ernst Stavro Blofeld <laughs> from the James Bond movies. So I love that picture. And um, it's true, you know, these people are, are promoting an ideology that's going to run headlong into the brick wall of reality, I think. <laughs> but, but anyway, you got you to gotta read the article if for nothing else, and of course I'll link it, if for nothing else than the picture. All right, now, as I said, today, last blog of 2020, uh, on the theme of what happens <laughs> when ideology meets reality. <laughs> This one is good, folks, and so I, I forget who sent this to me. Whoever you are, thank you, because I just laughed my head off reading this article. Yeah, Dr. Evil. Who is Mr. Global Only? Well, all the common names, the Rockefellers, the Rotten Childs, you know, pick your, pick your big central banker. You know, Bale and Malicious Gates, I'm, Bill and Melinda Gates. You know, people like that. All right. This article is titled um, How a New Hampshire Libertarian Utopia <laughs> was, was Foiled by Bears. Okay. Now, before I get into this, and, and I'm going to be sort of repeating what the author of this article, the author's name is Sean Illing, and I, I think this guy deserves several rounds of applause for writing this article. Um, this, this is about what happened when a group of diehard, hardcore libertarians took over a town in New Hampshire, okay? Now, I remember this movement. There was a movement a few years ago in this country to have everybody move to New Hampshire that valued freedom and stood up for conservative or libertarian values. Okay, now I lean libertarian, but I'm not a hardcore guy on it. I'm also very conservative in some respects, and I'm even progressive in a few teeny areas. But anyway, <laughs> this is classic. So I'm going to read a great deal from here, and um, I hope you'll enjoy this because there's a lesson here and there's a lesson here for Mr. Globaloni, for all the Klaus Schwabs, 
for all the Bernie Sanders and Joe Bidens and all the people that are um, Trump messianists. <laughs> I don't know what else to call them. Anyway, here we go. Here's Mr. Illing. He says, quote, every ideology produces its own brand of fanatics, but there's something special <laughs> about libertarianism. And I don't mean that as an insult either. I love libertarians. For the most part, they're fun and interesting people. But they also tend to be cocksure about core principles in a way most people aren't. If you've ever encountered a, fr a freshly minted Anne Rand enthusiast, you know what I mean. <laughs> and yet one of the things that makes political philosophy so amusing is that it's almost mostly abstract. You can't really prove anything. It's just a never-ending argument about values. Every now and then... Uh, pardon me, every now and again, though, reality intervenes in a way that illustrates the absurdity <laughs> of particular ideas. Something like this happened in the mid-2000s in a small New Hampshire town called Grafton. Matthew Hongels Hetling, author of a new book entitled, quote, A Libertarian Walks Into a Bear says it's, quote, the boldest social experiment <laughs> in modern American history, unquote. I don't know if it's the boldest, but, <laughs> but it's definitely one of the strangest. The experiment was called the Freetown Project. It later became the Free State Project, and the goal was simple. Take over Grafton's local government, and turn it into a libertarian utopia. The movement was cooked up by a small group of ragtag libertarian activists who saw in Grafton a unique opportunity to realize their dreams of a perfectly logical and perfectly market-based <laughs> community. <laughs> Needless to say, utopia never arrived, but the bears did. <laughs> I'll explain that below. <laughs> <laughs> so here we go Mr. Illing interviews the author of the book So here's Mr. Illing He says, of all the towns in the world, why Grafton? The author of the book Quote, they didn't, <laughs> they didn't choose it in a vacuum They actually conducted a very careful and thorough search They zeroed in on the state of New Hampshire fairly quickly Because that's the live free or die state they knew that it would align well with their philosophy of individualism and personal responsibility. <laughs> but, but once they decided on New Hampshire, they actually visited dozens of small towns looking for that perfect mix of factors that would enable them to take over. <laughs> what they needed was a town that was small enough <laughs> that they could come up and elbow the existing citizenry someplace where land was cheap, where they could come in and buy up a bunch of land and kind of host their incoming colonists. And they wanted a place that had no zoning, 
because they wanted to be able to live in non-traditional housing and not have to go through the rigmarole of building or buying expensive homes or pre-existing homes. Sean Illing. Wait, what do you mean by non-traditional housing? <laughs> the author of the book, quote, has the people... <laughs> I can hardly do it. Ah, as people of Grafton soon found out, a non-traditional housing situation meant a camp in the woods <laughs> or a bunch of shipping containers <laughs> or whatever. They brought in yurts <laughs> in New Hampshire. <laughs> and mobile homes and formed little clusters of cabins and tents and yurts. <laughs> there was one location called Tent City where a bunch of people just lived in tents from day to day. They all united under this broad umbrella of the principle of personal freedom, but as you'd expect, there was a lot of variation in how they exercised it. <laughs> so, Skipping a little bit here, Sean Illing. Well, how then did they take over the local government? Did they meet much resistance? The author of the book. When they first showed up, they hadn't told anyone that they were doing this, with the exception of a couple of sympathetic libertarians in the community. <laughs> so all of a sudden, the people in Grafton woke up to the fact that their town was in the process of being invaded by a bunch of idealistic libertarians. And <laughs> they were pissed. They had a big town meeting. It was a very shouty, very angry town meeting, during which they told the free towners who had dared to come that they didn't want them there, and they didn't appreciate being treated as if their own community was an experimental playpen for libertarians to come in and try to prove something. But the libertarians, even though they never outnumbered the existing Grafton residents, what they found was that they could come in and they could find like-minded people. Lesson here, folks. Traditional conservatives or just very liberty-oriented individuals who agreed with them on enough issues that despite the angry opposition, they were able to work their will on the levers of government. Listen to that, folks. A minority and a couple of locals willing to make common cause. And there you go. They couldn't pass some of the initiatives they wanted. They tried unsuccessfully to withdraw from the school district and to completely discontinue... <laughs> to completely discontinue paying for road repairs or to declare Grafton a United Nations free zone and some outlandish things like that. But they did find that a lot of existing Grafton residents would be happy to cut town services to the bone. And so they successfully put a stranglehold on things like police services, things like road services and fire services, and even the public library. All of these things were cut to the bone. Now notice, folks, Libertarian, this kind of radical libertarianism, 
is in this country usually considered to be on the far right. Notice the resemblance to the policies of the far left. And it's very interesting that if you look at libertarianism carefully, I'm not going to tell you where, there's a specific area, but if you look at libertarianism carefully, there is a specific area that they share in common with Marxism, and it's in historical analysis, but that's a clue. Anyway, back to the article. Sean Illing says, well, then, what happened <laughs> over the next few years or so? The author of the book, quote, by pretty much any measure you can look that you can look at to gauge a town's success, Grafton got worse. Recycling rates went down, neighbor complaints went up, the town's legal costs went up because they were constantly defending themselves from lawsuits from the free towners. The number of sex offenders living in the town went up. The number of recorded crimes went up. The town never had a murder in living memory, and it had its first two, a double homicide, over a roommate dispute. It turns out that if you have a bunch of people living in the woods in non-traditional living situations, each of which is managing food in their own way, and their waste streams in their own way, then you're essentially teaching the bears in the region that every human habitation is like a puzzle that has to be solved <laughs> in order to unlock its caloric payload. <laughs> and so the bears in the area started to take notice of the fact that there were calories available in houses. <laughs> One thing that the Freetowners did that encouraged the bears was unintentional in that they just threw their waste out however they wanted. <laughs> they didn't want the government to tell them how to manage their potential bear attractants. <laughs> the other way was intentional in that some people just started feeding the bears just for the joy of, and pleasure of watching them eat. <laughs> As you can imagine, <laughs> as you can imagine, things got messy, <laughs> and, and there was no way for the town to deal with it. Some people were shooting the bears. Some people were feeding the bears. Some people were setting booby traps on their properties in an effort to deter the bears through pain. Others were throwing firecrackers at them. Others were putting cayenne pepper on their garbage so, so that when the bears sniffed the garbage, they would get a snout full of pepper. It was an absolute mess. So <laughs> picture a lovely little New England town <laughs> in New Hampshire with its porches and little white churches being overrun by yurts, shipping containers, tents, and black bears in the hundreds. And I know it's it, it's a real life circumstance and it's not it's not funny, but you just you know you just have to laugh at the absurdity of all of this. <laughs> 
Only in America, folks. But, but anyway, and Mr. Illing concludes his article this way, and <laughs> I'm four square with him here. Quote, there's a lesson in this for anyone interested in seeing it, which is that if you try to make the world listen, Dr. Klaus Schwab, listen, Mr. Globaloni, listen, Pope Francis, listen, Mr. Rottenchild. There's a lesson in this for anyone interested in seeing it, which is that if you try to make the world fit neatly, into an ideological box, you have to distort or ignore reality to do it. Think of the COVID plan scamdemic here, folks. And usually with terrible consequences. Now, the author of the book ends this way. He says, by the end of the project, sometime in 2016, he had really drawn some distinctions between himself, this is a local libertarian that ran for governor, between himself and many of the extremist libertarians who came to the town. He still considers himself to be a libertarian and a very devout one. Notice the religious term at that. But by the end of the project, he was at odds with most of the other libertarians. And it shows that until you actually have a libertarian-run community, it's very hard to say what it is or what it will look like. In other words, they tried their own little Galt's Gulch experiment in Grafton, New Hampshire, and it turned into an absolute disaster. So the author of the book concludes this. I think they bumped up against the follies of libertarianism. I really do think that there's a hard wall of reality that exists that's going to foil any effort to implement libertarianism on a broad scale. And I think that if you gave libertarian the magic wand and allowed them to transform society the way they wanted to, listen closely, Dr. Klaus Schwab, it wouldn't work the way they imagined. And I think it would break down just as Grafton did. And maybe that's the lesson. So with that, um, <laughs> with that little excursion <laughs> into uh, unreality and uh, the unreality of digital currencies, which are not currencies, uh, I'm going to bid you all a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Uh, Daniel and I both want to thank you for helping uh, helping us make this one of the best years at our website. We hope that the improvements that we're planning in uh, future weeks will be to everybody's liking. And remember, I might do a couple more news and views just on a lark over the next couple weeks, but um, for the most part, I'll be on on. Christmas break over the next two weeks. So I'll see you in 2021, hoping <laughs> against hope <laughs> that it will be some sort of return to sanity, not a fake return to sanity, but a real return to sanity in 2021. Anyway, thank you all folks <laughs> for, for tuning in this year. We'll see you next year. Bye-bye and We'll see you on the flip side.